So let's go ahead and and jump right in. We're actually in week six of our Sermon on the Mount series uh, entitled uh, basically Understanding What Jesus Wants His Followers to Be and Do. We're in a section of this basically uh, that we've entitled A Christian's Righteousness and basically in, in interpreting the law in its truth. And so basically in this section, Jesus is beginning to deal with some, some areas and some things that he wants to interpret differently than what people have understood in the past. How, how the scribes or the Pharisees have looked at the law of Moses and kind of looked at it and kind of messed it up and not understood what God was trying to do in that moment. Jesus is going to come here and he's going to try to help us understand the true meaning of that. So the section that we're going to be focused on this morning is Matthew 5, 31 and 37. So let's go ahead and put that up on the screen and let's read it. It says this, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let's jump on. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, don't do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Father, I need you because I can't do this without you. I don't want to do this without you. And so, Father, I need you to come and just, just speak through me. Um, my words really are just kind of noise. And, and noise is great for a lot of things. But in this moment, noise doesn't change hearts and lives. And so, Father, right now what we want to do is, is we want you to come or to continue to be here, really, and change us. Help us to see and understand what you desire for us to see and understand. Father, right now, because of some of the topics that we're going to be talking about this morning, God, right now, in the name of Jesus, I just pray against the enemy right now. Because the enemy is going to want to come to kill, steal, confuse, destroy, cause problems. And Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, we just pray against that. We just say, you know, that he has no authority here in this place or in our lives. And so, Father, I pray that you would just, just put a barrier up. So that, Father, we can understand what you're saying in these passages, learn from them, grow from them, and become more like you. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We talked about this last week. We're going to be kind of talking about this uh, over the next couple of weeks. Um, But basically, in this section that we're in, this Christian's righteousness section, it's going to be up here on on the screen. It says this, and it's it's a reminder so we understand. It says, in this section, Jesus shows the true meaning of the law, but but, but this isn't Jesus against Moses. It is Jesus against false and superficial interpretations. Of Moses. So this is Jesus coming now in this section that we're going to be talking about, like we talked about last week and this week and, and a couple more, is, is Jesus basically saying, okay, listen, when, when man gets a hold sometimes of what God does, things can get a little muddled, things can get a little messed up, things can be confused and, 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 and stuff like that. I remember the story, uh, and, and some of you know this story, but there's a story where in the Old Testament where they're, they're removing the ark, they're taking the ark back to Jerusalem, okay? Now, in 
in this story, real briefly, they're, they're taking the ark and they put the ark on a cart and oxen basically are pulling the ark. Now, God said, don't do it that way. He said, when you transport it, you're supposed to do the poles and, and, you know, take it that way. You know, like in the pictures sometimes that we see with the Levites and the priests, they're carrying the ark on the poles. Well, they don't do it the way God wanted it done. And so they put it on this cart. And so as they're traveling with the cart, basically this guy, I can't remember his name, it's not important, uh, reaches out because the ark's going to fall. You know, and so he's like, oh my goodness, this, well, I don't, the ark, the ark is special, the ark is awesome, I don't want the ark to fall. So he reaches out to steady the ark, and God strikes him dead. And then the story just kind of goes on, you know, and, and, and you're going, uh, 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 God, seriously? I mean, the, the guy wasn't trying to do something wrong. He was just trying to make sure the ark didn't fall on the ground, and get, he reaches out, and God kills it. And I remember going, God, why? Why would you do this to him? And it kind of showed me something, that, that God has a certain way that things are supposed to be done. God said it's supposed to be carried this way. And, and there's ways to happen. And when man begins to touch things that are a God and, don't, and doesn't do them the way God wants them to do it, things happen that aren't good. Things happen that aren't good. And in this situation, in this circumstance, these Pharisees and these teachers and these scribes and these rabbis have kind of begun to take their hands and put it all over God's stuff and it's muddled it up and caused issues. And now Jesus is coming and he's saying, listen, I want to clarify what is happening and what God meant. Now, this is kind of, I'll just be honest with you, okay, because that's kind of what I do. This has been the Sunday that I've been a little... Not nervous, but a little bit of trepidation, okay? Because we're going to be talking about divorce. And divorce is a very hard subject because it's a deep-rooted, complex, sometimes, subject. And, I mean, the bottom line is, is that today, in, in the world or in our culture, half of every marriage that begins fails. And, and so... I just want you to hear my heart this morning, okay? This is not about looking at you and going, boy, you're really a screw-up. Boy, I can't believe you didn't do this or that or whatever. And, and here's the thing. If, if you start going there, and if you start feeling that way, you better fight against that because that's not of God, okay? And so I want you to understand that, that, that I want to take this and deal with it because this is something we need to look at. Um, but we want to do it with some sensitivity and understand that that sometimes things happen and and, and this is not a situation where where I believe Jesus or us should look at it and start throwing rocks at people. I mean, the, the story I always go back to is the story where the woman is literally caught in the act of adultery and the church wants to throw rocks at her head. And Jesus says, go and sin no more. So, so we want to look at this. We want to look at it with some sensitivity. But we also need to deal with it. And we need to see what God says about it so that we understand. And so we understand a little bit more where Jesus is coming from when he makes these statements. Okay? So the first thing we're going to look at is, is Jesus interprets the law considering divorce. Okay? So let's look at Matthew 5, 31 and 32 again. It says this. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. 
But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. Anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, this section is kind of short. It's kind of kind of broken down. Jesus deals with this again in Matthew. So what we're going to do is we're going to take Matthew 19. It's going to be up on the screen here. And we're going to look at these two verses together because Matthew 19, Jesus kind of expounds a little bit and kind of looks at some of these things a little bit deeper. So we're going to look at both of these together so we understand what Jesus is trying to get us to understand and learn from this passage, okay? So in Matthew 19, it says this, and the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, okay? So we have to stop there and understand, what are the Pharisees trying to do here? They're not trying to just test him, they're trying to trap him. They're trying to cause problems. They're, kind of, they're trying to discredit him. So we have to understand the heart of the Pharisees in this moment. Their heart is basically the same when they bring a woman in a, that's caught in adultery. Okay? They're trying to make Jesus look bad. They're trying to find something that they can use to discredit and eventually kill him. So this is what it says. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, we're going to keep going, but I want you to keep that in mind. This any cause clause that they put in there because that's important. And we're going to talk about that in a second. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And so I say to you, again, we see this comment from Jesus, this idea of this is what you've heard, this is what you've been taught, now this is what I say, this is what the authority that I have, and I'm explaining this. Whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Now, we have to understand a little bit of context here of why these things are being brought up, why these things are being talked about, and why these things are, are, are kind of in the forefront of this moment. And that's because in this time, the Visible grounds for divorce were debated. Okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to go back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 21, 1a, the very beginning, be, kind of begins, and this is kind of where all this is stemming from. Okay? And so we have to understand where it's starting and then where we're going to end up. And so it basically says this in Deuteronomy 24, 1. It says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then he finds no favor in his eyes because he found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. Now, there's a lot more here, but I, I we just wanted to kind of bring it down a little bit, okay? Now, here's where we're at, and here's why we're at this moment. There were two schools of thought here, okay? And these are in your notes, and if you look at those, you'll kind of follow along with me, it kind of help you out a little bit, okay? There's two schools, two rabbinical schools at this time that were arguing over Deuteronomy 24, they were arguing basically on this idea is of, of what are the permissible grounds? What is this indecency that basically we see in Scripture? What does that mean? And so there were two different schools, okay? The first, and, and listen, I'm going to butcher these names, okay? So just, just go with me, okay? I'm not real good on the Hebrew names sometimes. But in the school of Shemeli, close enough, okay? He restricted the sum indecency in Deuteronomy 21 one, to refer only to sexual immorality authenticated by witnesses, 
Okay, so in one school of thought, on one side of the debate was basically a guy who was like, no, 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 no. That understanding means it has to be a very serious, serious offense for that to take place. Okay, so on one side, we have a very, almost like a very conservative, very um, um, letter of the law kind of thing. That's how he saw that indecency clause. Okay, and so if that happened, then that could happen. Now, the other school of thought was the school of Hello. Close enough. And they interpreted the term, some indecency, in Deuteronomy 24.1 in the widest possible way to include a wife's most trivial offenses, even including burning the dinner. So on one side, you had, you, you had to really mess up, okay, if you follow me. And on the other side, if dinner got burned... The husband had the right to divorce his wife. This is the mindset. This is where everybody is, okay? So they're sitting there going, well, well which side is it? That's why we see this, this idea of a certificate of divorce. This is why we see in, in Matthew chapter 19 where the words, for any reason. Basically, what they're asking Jesus is, is they want to know where he falls in the debate. They want to know where he is in all this. He wants to know, listen, is this, are you, are you on this side of the debate or are you on this side of the debate? Are you on the side that says anything basically can happen? Or are you the side that has to be sexual immorality that happens? Now, what's interesting about this is Jesus answers their question in three different parts. And I think it's important that we look at these three parts because it gives us a better understanding of how Jesus and God understand marriage, understand divorce, and understand a lot of things. Now, first and foremost, we need to understand something, okay? This is clear. This is scriptural. God hates divorce. He does, okay? God also hates sin, okay? But God hates divorce. He hates it when we, when we as human beings don't fulfill the plans that he has for us. When we don't do the things that basically we need to do, okay? But, but, but please understand, again, it's not a situation where, well, I'm, I'm divorced, I, I, God doesn't love me. No, 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 nothing could be further from the truth. God hates sin, but he doesn't like it at all. So he, but he does reply, and we need to look at these replies, okay? And a lot of this is going to come, obviously, from, from this Matthew 19. So first, he answers their question in three parts. Number one, this is what he says. The Pharisees were preoccupied with the grounds for divorce, okay? Jesus with the institution of marriage. Let's look back at verse number three and six of chapter 19. It says, and the Pharisees came to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful divorce one's life for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Here's what's sad about all this situation. The Pharisees in this moment, they're trying to figure out how to, what the ground rules are. They're trying to go, listen, I want to know how far basically I can get to the edge before I go off. I want to know where the line is. And Jesus is basically saying, listen, you need to stop worrying so much about the line and so much about the, the rules, if it were, and start understanding that the biggest part of this is getting marriage back where it needs to be. And understanding what marriage was meant to be. So Jesus takes them all the way back to Genesis. He takes them all the way back to the beginning. And basically he does this. And I think, listen, I think we need to understand this as, as a culture today. Okay? 
And I'm not going to get into things that I think you think I could get into. But you need to understand something. God ordained and created marriage. He is the authority of what marriage is. Okay? Now, let me give you a little example of how I think this works. Okay? When I was a kid, I was in art class because I had to be. Okay? As soon as I got into seventh grade and I didn't have to take art anymore, I never took another art class. Why? Because I was the worst artist ever. And because I'm a human little boy, I wanted to be good at everything. And I wasn't good at art. And so one of the things that we did, now maybe, I don't know if they still do this. I hope they do. I'm looking forward to this day, if Easton does it, is we would do (laughs) pottery, which is the silliest thing to ask a first grader to do. But we would do pottery. Do we still do pottery? No? Not first grade? Well, I don't know if it was first grade. It was elementary school at some point, okay? And so what we would do is we would go into art class, and there was the mold, or not the mold, there was the, the clay, and we would begin to form and mold and build something, and then we would take it, and she would fire it, and then we'd come back, and we'd paint it, and then was the best part. Then we took it home, and we presented our creation to mom and dad. And I guarantee you, I guarantee, it happened in my house. I guarantee you it happened in probably 98% of every home that this ever happened in. We handed to our mother and our father, who love us dearly, more than almost anyone in the entire world. And their response is, oh, thank you. What a lovely. What is this, sweetheart? Well, it's a vase. It's a, it's a coin collector. It's whatever, blah, 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 blah. And you know what? The parent always, oh, it's the most beautiful vase I've ever seen. At least that's what happened in my world. Did it look like a vase? Absolutely not. It looked like basically me taking, you know, molding it and basically going, done. But you know what I've learned? The creator gets to decide what it is. The the person who formed that and made that, he has the authority or she has the authority to say, that's what that is. Because she created it. He created it. He made it. Okay? Marriage is a divine institution created by God in the garden from the very beginning. He defines it. And a lot of times we as human beings think that somehow we know better than God and we can define it. But Jesus here, he takes us all the way back. And he says, listen, you guys are so focused on the fact, how do I get out of it? How do I, what's the legal way to maneuver all this? What, well, how do I get the certificate that they forgot to know what the main point of this is? Is the institution of marriage that God instills and puts in us from the very beginning. I mean, listen, I do marriage counseling, especially I do premarital counseling with couples that I marry, and I've never had somebody come up to me and say, listen, we're just so excited about getting married, but I just need to ask you, uh, I know you're a pastor, but do you know of the legal way that I can get out of this before it even, you know, after it happens? No, they're looking at me, oh, we just love each other so much, and oh, we're just so excited about being married, and and it kind of, you know, it's cute and kind of makes you want to throw up. You know, it's all one of those things, you know, but it's awesome. But they're they're not worried about the marriage. They're not worried about two people and two lives. They're worried about how they can maneuver legally to get out of it. And Jesus brings them back. Wait a minute. No, no, no. You need to go back to the beginning. What this is. That God brings these individuals together. That God forms them as, as one. Takes them from two to one. And that's important. Number two. The Pharisees called Moses' provision for divorce a command. 
Jesus calls it a concession to the hardness of humans' hearts. Okay, let's look here at 7 and 8. It says, Then they said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce? Now, first and foremost, let's stop here. Moses doesn't command. Okay, this is a misinterpretation of Deuteronomy 24. Moses never commands. It's not there. But they have, they have taken it now to this new level. Oh, Moses told us we had to do this. This has got to be a situation. So they're misinterpreting the scripture already. And so they basically said, he's commanded us. And he says, well, we have to. We have to send her away. And Jesus' response is, he said, he said why did he do that? Why? Why? Because you have a hard heart. That's why. That's why God allows this to happen. It's because you have a hard heart. You are doing this. So Jesus brings them back that this wasn't a command. This was a concession. This was God understanding how how we as people sometimes deal with things. And it's not good. It's not good. And it's sad. It's sad that if you stop and you look at the human condition, that God would have to do this. That God would have to make this concession for us. And, and, and I just want to challenge you. Okay, listen, I'm married. A lot of us are. And some of us aren't. But maybe you will one day or whatever. You have whatever. Blah, 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 blah. We all get in arguments. We all get in fights. And I'm just going to speak for me, okay? I'm just going to speak for me. But most of them is because I have a hard heart. Because I've put my foot in the ground and I'm not moving. And I just want us to be aware of that. I want us to be aware that, that as we have difficulties with our spouse, because we all, all, all will and all have, is to not just look at them and say, let's talk about what's wrong with you, but to look at ourselves and go, man, what, maybe what's, what, what's what me? I need to start here. How's my heart? Is my heart hard or is my heart soft? Where, where am I at? Where is my life at in this moment? The third thing. The Pharisees regarded divorce lightly. Jesus took it so seriously that with one exception, he called all remarriage after divorce adultery. Look at Matthew 19, 9. It says, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. Jesus takes this seriously. I think it's all very clear in our world, in our society, marriage is just not the same as it used to be. And this isn't, oh, back in my day kind of moment, but I think we all can say that, that, that we just don't hold it in the same place. There's almost this attitude that, well, if it doesn't work out, then I can get out. Then this could happen. And, and I think Jesus here is wanting us to understand how, how serious these things are how much they matter. Scripture really talks a lot about the family and bringing a family together and and talks against things that that cause the family unit issues and problems. Okay? And so Jesus here, he takes takes a pretty big step. Okay? Now, I understand that, that... there may be people that, well, Aaron, you know, I, I've been divorced, or I, I have family members that have been divorced, and, and I've remarried, or whatever else like that. Listen, we can get into a lot of, a lot of stuff here, but let me, let me kind of talk about this. And we're going we're gonna to look at some scripture in a minute, okay? If you say, Aaron, that's me. I, I've been divorced, and I've remarried. Listen, God wants you to fulfill that promise today, okay? 
you know, I, I know that as I was reading and I was studying about this, I, I read some things about a guy, and, and he was a pastor, and, um, and he talked about people that would come to him and say, well, what do I do? I, I remarried. Should I, should I divorce again and, and not be remarried? And, and, and absolutely not, okay? It, it's not going to make it right to, to get another divorce. What it is, the situation is, is to start today to fulfill those things with the partner that you have now, with the one that God's brought to you now, okay? And, and again, I'm trying really hard to be sensitive here. And, 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 I, and the reason why is because I just don't want anybody to walk out of here with guilt and shame because, that, listen, that is not of God, okay? And, and I want to show you some things that we can look at this, okay? So let's look at some of these verses that I want to share as we kind of bring this, this little portion to a close. Let's first look at Lamentations 3.19. It says this, it says, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continuously remembers it and it is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind and therefore, check this out, this is so beautiful. Therefore, I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So listen, this is not just for, for people that, that are maybe more dealing with this particular issue in their lives. This is for us all. His mercies are new every morning. No matter what happened yesterday, it's in the past and the mercies of God cover it. And the forgiveness of God covers it. And you need to understand that. Because sometimes what we do as human beings, because of our guilt and our shame, we live in yesterdays. And when we live in yesterdays, we feel like there's not enough grace and mercy for today. Listen, every morning they're new. Every morning God showers more and more and more and more that we can't even handle it. And then in a new day there's more. And then in a new day there's more. And there's a new day there's more. And it just keeps coming and coming and coming. Ephesians 1, 7 says this. It says he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Look at 1 John 1, 9. It says, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Listen, do not walk out of here. Okay, in two ways. Do not walk out of here with a judgmental spirit against people who have dealt with things that you don't understand. And number two, if you're in one of those individuals who are dealing with this, walk out in freedom. Because with, when you confess those things, God is faithful and just to forgive us. And they're gone. Separated as far as the east is from the west. But we still got to deal with these things. We still got to look at these things to understand how God sees them. And so that we can use those things to help form how we live our lives. Okay? But listen, there's forgiveness. There's grace. And we move forward. Next, Jesus interprets the law concerning, concerning oaths. Okay? Concerning oaths. So let's look at Matthew 5 again. It says, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or, for, or by earth, for it's the footstool, or by Jerusalem, uh, for it's the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Okay, now, once again, we're going to have to look a little bit deeper here. Because if we read this on its kind of face value, at least for me, I'm going, what is Jesus trying to communicate here? What is this even about? 
What do you mean oath? What, 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 what? This doesn't make any sense. So let's look back at basically uh, a little bit before, okay? So let's look at Exodus 20. Now, in Exodus 20, verse 7, it says this. It says, you must not misuse the name of your Lord, your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Now, here's where this gets a little confusing. Now, if you've looked at other translations of the Bible, and I remember when I was a kid, this is obviously one of the Ten Commandments, I was always read, do not take the Lord of your God's name in vain, okay? And so I always looked at this as more of a don't, don't say bad words about God's name. Now, here's the thing that we've looked at and we're learning, okay, as we've seen this. This is in the, NI, or the, uh, the NLT, it's in the NIV as well. This idea of misuse is a much better translation of that word than what we've had in the past, okay? So what we're talking about here is a little bit different. Okay? And so we're not talking about basically using God's name as a curse word, but we're basically using God's name as a way to basically misuse it in a certain way. It could be understood as basically I'm doing something in God's name that isn't appropriate, that causes God's name to be uh, smudged or look bad. It could also be a situation where we use God's name as basically, oh, I'm using it as a promise or an oath or something of that nature. Look at Numbers 30. Verse number two, it says this. It says, a man who makes a vow to the Lord or breaks a pledge under his oath must never break it. He must do exactly what he said he would do. These scriptures, what they're doing and what we're understanding is they're prohibiting false swearing. Not swearing like you're saying a bad word, but like swearing uh, or or, making a promise. Or perjury. That is making a vow and then breaking it. So basically what this is really about is God doesn't want you to say, listen, don't make a promise and say you're going to make a promise. And then don't keep it. Now, why does this matter? Why is this all making sense? Or why, why would this even come up? Well, it's really quite simple. Because, because of this, because of the, the, the understanding that was here, the Pharisees begin to take all this stuff and get to kind of go, kind of go crazy with it. Okay, And so I've kind of written these things down in your notes because I want you to kind of follow along with me because I, I was putting this together. I'm going, I, I want everybody to understand what this is, Okay, but it's in your notes. This is the Pharisees, because of the misunderstanding of these rules, basically they develop elaborate rules for the taking of vows. Okay, They listed basically which formulas were permissible and they added that only those formulas which included the divine name made the vow binding. So basically what they said is, okay, here's, if you're going to do a vow, here's your 10-step process of how to do it. And if you don't use God's name, then it can be broken. So basically if I say, I promise on this chair that I am going to, in five minutes, fly around the room and shoot rainbows out of my eyes. Doesn't matter. Because I didn't do it on anything that mattered. But see, if you use a certain thing, then all of a sudden you had to actually do it. And so Jesus here is dealing with this major issue. Now, here's what's interesting about this. Maybe some of you have read this scripture that we're going to talk about, and you've gone, I don't understand why Jesus is talking about this. Well, this is why. In Matthew 23, it says this. Okay? Jesus now is talking to the Pharisees. He's having, this is, this is the woe to the Pharisees section of, of Scripture, okay? So in Matthew 23, it says this, Blind guides, and Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, What sorrow awaits you? For you say that it means nothing to swear by God's temple, but that it is binding to swear by the gold in the temple. So what Jesus is dealing with here is this attitude. 
That basically, oh, I can, I can swear that I'm going to do something by the temple, but that's not binding. But if I do it by the gold in the temple, that's binding. You see the confusion here? See, the, 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 see, I mean, it's just like, again, man's hands gets on God's stuff and we just muddle it up and cause all these problems. He continues, blind fools, which is more important, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? And you sw- say to swear by the altar is not binding, but to swear by the gifts on the altar is binding. How blind? For which is more important, the gift on the altar or the altar that makes the gift sacred? When you swear by the altar, you are swearing by it and everything on it. And when you swear by the temple, you are swearing by it and by God who lives in it. And when you swear by heaven, you are swearing by the throne of God and by God who sits on the throne. So Jesus here is looking at all these things and he's going, what's wrong with you guys? What are you, what are you doing? He's talking, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about all these oaths and all these, these formulas and how crazy it is. And he's like, oh, well, this matters and this. I mean, can you imagine living in that time where it was like basically you had to listen very, very carefully to what someone was saying because if they didn't really say all the right words in it, then they could get out of the deal. And Jesus responds to this type of attitude and this way of living and basically says, hey, listen, let me break it down for you. Let me make it real simple. Let's make it really, really easy. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you say you're going to do something, hey, do it. You know, there's times in Scripture where, where Jesus will say something and, and you just kind of look at it and you go, Oh my goodness, how in the world can I do that? And there's other times where it was, you know, he'll say something and it's like, you know, that's pretty simple. If I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. Let my yes be yes, my no be no. James also brings it up in his book, in his letter. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Basically, do what you're going to say you're going to do. Do what you say you're going to do. I mean, it's amazing that you stop and you think. And, and listen, listen, here's the thing. Okay? Be real careful on this. We can't turn into um, like these, these Pharisee bashers, okay? We can't, that's not wise, you know? Because I'll do that. You know, it's like, oh, those guys. I can't believe they do that. You know, we do, I, do, I do that with the Israelites, you know, as you look through their history. You know, it's like, how could they constantly make the same mistake over and over and over and over? They mess up. They go to God. God takes care of it. It's just like this circle. And I remember thinking that all the time. And then I realized, oh, my goodness, that's me. That's me. I mess up. Okay, God, I'm sorry. And God restores, and then I mess up. And then, you know, so we got to be careful here. But they've made all these rules, all these things that would basically say, okay, it's binding. Okay, it's not. Okay, it's important. Okay, it's not. So it's important that we understand this. So the precise wording of a vow formula is irrelevant. A vow is binding regardless of its accompanying formula. So the implication of the law is that we must keep our promises and be people of our word. You know, basically, what's, what's Jesus saying in all this oath stuff and all this vow stuff? Where can we break it down and kind of pull away all the weeds and just get... Just, if you say you're going to do it, if you say yes, then, then do it. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be people of our word. Listen, wouldn't it be awesome? Because I don't think this is necessarily the case in the world. That that maybe the world would look at Christians and go, well, you know, they're this or they're that or they're not good here or they're not that. But you know what? They are people of their word. 
Wouldn't that be awesome? Listen, wouldn't that be great if that was said about you or me? I, I want that said about me. And I know I'm not perfect in it, just like none of us are. But here Jesus is saying, listen, listen, your witness and what people see at times is this. You better make sure that when you say yes, you'll do it. Because here's what happens, okay? If I continue to go to someone or someone continues, let me do this way. Someone comes to me and says, hey, Aaron, listen, hey, listen, we're going to go out and we're going we're gonna to go on a hike on Saturday. You want to be there? You want to go? Yeah, man, I'm there. Absolutely. Let me, I'll, I'll be, oh, yeah, that'll be great. What time we meet? Eight o'clock. Okay, man, we'll be there. All right. Eight o'clock shows, I don't show up. I go on a hike. Next weekend. Hey, Aaron, listen, man, we're going on a hike. Oh, oh, man, sorry about last week. You know, something came up and, you know, I can't, but, okay, but yeah, what time? Eight o'clock. Yeah, I'll be there. Absolutely, man, I'm there. Absolutely. Woo, we're going to go for a hike. Eight o'clock Saturday next time. Not there. What's going to happen? First of all, at some point, I'm not going to get invited anymore. <laughs> and second of all, what does that say about me and what I believe? If I can't even tell the truth about something as trivial as going on a hike. Are you going to believe me when I say, hey, listen, I want to tell you about Jesus and the truth that he's shown me in my life. That person's not going to believe me at all. And why would they? Why should they? If I can't keep my promise on something so small as going on a hike, how would I be able to share the truth of a life-changing experience with Jesus? Sometimes God will use these small things to bring us and help us understand these bigger things. And Jesus will just say, hey, listen, be, be a man or a woman of your word. If you say it, do it. If you say it, do it. Worship team, can you come on up? We're going to close. Now listen. What's interesting about this, as we've looked at it, is, is this idea in this little short little section, even though they appear to be somewhat different, they're, they're actually, they're very similar. Um, because a lot of it really boils down to Keeping the promises that you've made. Um, one of my favorite things, I love it. I just, it's just such a special thing. And, and, and I've, I got to do it, and, 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 and I think you'll understand when I say this. Um, it's not a, not a you, know, you know, I love them more than you, but I think you'll understand. One of the coolest things I have ever done has been to have the opportunity to perform the weddings of kids that grew up in my youth group. I mean, they come in, these 12, 13-year-old kids, and you watch them grow in God, and you watch them grow in their relationship. I, there's, there's been kids that I've married, and, and I know the day they met. So freaking cool. I love that. And to be able to share that, that counseling with them, to get them ready, and then to be there on their special day. Man, that is awesome. But you know what? When I do those weddings, they're making promises to God and each other. They write these, or, or, or we'll say vows and promises and, and oaths, and I promise to do this, and I promise to do that. And I know at times, whether it be marriage or, or life or, or just doing what you say, sometimes it's hard to keep those promises. 
And let's be honest, we've all broken them. I mean, I promise to, to cherish my wife, and I don't always. I promise to, to love her, and I don't always. We've all not always kept every little vow. Now, why do I share that? Because, again, there's forgiveness for us all. But listen, in our lives, in our marriages, in our work relationships, in our families, in our friendships, truth matters. And the bottom line is, is lies destroy. That's why God, it matters so much to Him. It's why in so many portions of Scripture, when we see God lists some of the things that will, that will separate us from him. It seems like you see these big things. You know, it's like big thing, big thing, big thing. Lying, big thing, big thing. And you realize that, that lying isn't the, the mess up. It's not the small thing and the big thing. It's one of the big things. Because distruth can destroy relationships. So, where do we go from here? Well, first and foremost, we run to our Father. We bring those, we confess those, we let God heal us, forgive us, and we move forward. But listen, and sometimes this is the more difficult, we go to those purple. Last week we talked about if you have an odds with your brother or your sister, you leave your gift at the altar, you go and you make it right. Listen, one of the most powerful words you will ever share with your spouse, your kids, your friends, or your family is, I'm sorry. I cannot tell you how many times in my relationship with my family or my wife where I have messed up. And I've gone. I haven't gone in this way that you see so much in the world today of, of, hey, listen, listen, man, I'm sorry I hurt you. And I'm so sorry that you're too stupid to understand what I meant. Seriously, that's that's an apology in 2019. No, No accountability. No, I messed up. It's, I'm sorry, you're too dumb to understand what I meant. We want to be different from that. And there is a healing something amazing when we go to somebody and say, you know what? I messed up. I blew it. And I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me? And that could be a scary thing because then it puts the ball in their court and they may say, nope, I ain't forgiving you. But at that point, you've done what God's asked you to do and you can move on. But in my life, when I've messed up and I've, I mean, I'll get upset or I'll, I'll be mad. Hey, listen, full disclosure, two days ago, I was in my son's bedroom, lie on his bed with him apologizing to my five-year-old. Why? Because I got upset. I blamed him for it. I didn't blame him like you caused it, but I took it out on him. He didn't do anything. He was an innocent bystander, just happened to be there, and I took it out on him. And so I crawled in my, 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 my little boy's bed, and I looked at him and said, I said, son, I'm sorry. I love you, and I'm sorry that I handled that wrongly. Will you forgive me? He said, looked at me. Sure. He gave me a little kiss on the cheek. You know, that's what our Father does when we come to Him. We say, God, I'm so sorry. God says, it's okay, son, I got you. I'll hold you. And there's a forgiveness there. And when we go to each other, 
and we say, I'm sorry. I, I said I was going to do this, and I didn't. I, I said I was going to be do this, and I didn't. I said I was going to, and I didn't. There can be a healing that is so special and so free and so life-giving. And unfortunately, sometimes we miss the fullness that God wants to bring in our lives in that moment. So this isn't just about going to our Father, which is so important, and confess those sins to Him, but it's also going to each other. And let's just be honest. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm not saying, but let's just be honest with a group with this many married couples in here. Can I just, can we just be real for a second? There, there probably needs to be some discussions after church, okay? Come on. There probably needs to be some husbands and wives that sit down and say, listen, honey, I'm sorry. Listen, dear, I shouldn't have done that. I lost my patience. I love my cool. That is such an amazing moment. And it binds us together as a couple, as a family. Maybe there's some situations in this church where people need to get together and say, you know what, I messed up and I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hurt you. So this is more than just keeping promises, which is a big part of this that Jesus is trying to get us to understand. But this is about receiving the freedom and the hope and the mercy and the goodness of God, even in our mess-ups. getting it taken care of. This is part, check this out, this is part of the full life that Jesus promised us. And I want us to walk in it. So Father, we come to you right now. And Jesus, we thank you that, that, that even in these hard topics, you can bring hope and restoration and forgiveness if necessary. Father, you are not against us, you are for us. Jesus, you are good and your words are good and they are not there to bring shame. They're not there to bring disappointment. They are there to bring hope and help us to understand the greatness of your forgiveness and your grace. And so Jesus, no matter where we are, no matter where we are in our relationships, no matter where we are in, in, in our truth telling, Father, I pray that today we would understand that all your mercies are new. That we would understand that in this moment, we can have forgiveness and grace. That we don't have to walk out of here carrying loads. We can let them go because you have forgiven us and you've made all things new. But God, more than that, which is awesome. We want to make things right with each other. Jesus, just a few verses before, you commented on that. And sometimes it's, it's easy to forget because we're breaking this up, that, that this is all connected. This is all sp- spoken in these, this moment. And it fits just perfectly that you would just happen to bring up this understanding of making things right and then moves into promises and keeping them. And so, Father, if we have messed up, if we haven't gotten things right with people, whether it be our spouse or our kids or our family or a co-worker or a friend, whoever it is, Father, we'd go and we'd make it right. We'd ask for forgiveness. We'd go to them and say, you know what? I'm sorry. 
And we allow you in that moment to do amazing things in our lives. To bring us back. To experience the freedom and the fullness that you promised us. Father, this is, this is not a day to walk out of here going, man, I didn't measure up. Man, I wasn't good enough. This is a day to understand that no matter how many times we stumble, no matter how many times we fall, you are always there to grab us, pick us up, and help us on our way. So again, we prayed at the beginning. We pray against any thought any feeling of shame or disappointment. We pray against any feeling of, 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 of embarrassment or anything of that nature. And instead, Father, we pray that you would just flood this place with your grace and your mercy and your goodness. And that we'd walk out of here as we should walk out of here with hope, knowing that you have loved us. You still love us. You will continue to love us even through our mess ups. And not only that, but that you will take those mess ups and you'll make something beautiful out of them. We love you. We need you. You're so good.